What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to Out of Office, the podcast about life and leadership. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Every week, I bring you a conversation with a newsmaker speaking at a Bloomberg Live Summit. But we record this chat offstage, so it's usually freewheeling and informal, and we talk about things that don't come up on stage or in the office. We talk about a person's childhood, their mentors, first jobs, education, high points, setbacks, downtime, family and love because these influences make them who they are and define how they lead. This week... But everyone who knows me knows that I like to lean in very hard. Meet Bo Young Lee. So when Uber called me, I was like, now is not the time for me to do anything crazy. Well, she took the job and became Uber's first diversity and inclusion officer. She knew it wouldn't be easy to change the culture within or the perception of a company hit by allegations of racism and sexism. But when Bo spots an opportunity to right a wrong, she isn't one to let it go. I was actually told by people, you are an idiot. You took out $50,000 of student loans to get your MBA, and now you're going to go work for a nonprofit in a field that's never going to become something. Good luck. I caught up with Bo after she spoke at Bloomberg's The Year Ahead Summit in Tokyo. Here's our conversation. So when you got the call from Uber, which has had its fair share of trouble in the diversity and inclusion space, were you like, oh my God, I can't believe they're calling me for this? Or were you like, yay, this is a chance for me to fix something that really needs to be fixed? It was a little bit of both. And the reason why it was a little bit of both is when Uber actually called me, I had a five-month-old baby at home. And I'm one of those people who, um, I had my first child when I was 35, and then my second child, we actually struggled to have, and so I had multiple miscarriages, and I'd had IVF to have my second child at 41. So this was a very beloved baby that I had, and she was five months old. So when Uber called me, I was like, now is not the time for me to do anything crazy. Now is the time for me to be a mom and to really try to achieve a little bit of work-life balance here. But everyone who knows me knows that I like to lean in very hard. Um, and so they called me and I was a little bit skeptical, but at the same time, I did see the potential for the amount of change. I'm not someone who is intimidated by scale of change and scale of challenge. That's not intimidating. Um, what I really do when I think about uh, assess a company for their, you know, whether or not the role is right for me is I look at the potential for change. And so I, I took the call somewhat skeptically when they first called me, but it was after I really began to speak to our executive leadership team that I really understood, oh, they get it. They're really committed to this. It's not going to be an easy journey. It's going to be one that is going to challenge the, the relationship I have with my husband and my partner because he's going to have to take a much larger role in our family. Um, and he's an amazing partner. So uh, I knew that that was not going to be a you know, difficult conversation. And um, yeah, and then I joined and it's been a really interesting, really fun journey so far. Like many first-generation immigrant families, 
Bo's parents expected her to become a doctor, a lawyer, perhaps an accountant. But working in the DNI space, the diversity and inclusion space wasn't considered a serious profession. So when Bo got her MBA in the early 2000s, she found herself wondering, shall I pursue what I love? And I said, I'm going to go and pursue what I love and go work for a nonprofit. And everybody thought I was an idiot. I was actually told by people, you are an idiot. You took out $50,000 of student loans to get your MBA. And now you're going to go work for a nonprofit in a field that's never going to become something. Good luck. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be poor my whole life, paying off my student debt for my whole life. But I'm going to do something I'm very passionate about. And I'm super fortunate because I'd never predicted the way that companies would start focusing on diversity and inclusion. And my career grew with the focus, the social focus on, on diversity, a lot of the awareness that we've built around social injustices as well. So it's been really fun for me to have this kind of outsized influence and outsized conversation that I never thought would really be able to happen. What gave you the strength or the courage? Because it wasn't a dumb thing at that time. So I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. My mother always told me from the young, when, ever since I was very young, I've always been very fiery. And my mother said, you were so hard to raise as a kid. I was, I was a troublemaker. And even now my mother says I'm a troublemaker. And it's funny because my second daughter is uh, also a lot like me. And she's, eight, she's a troublemaker and she's 18. She's giving, she's 18 months old and she is a handful. And my mother, every time she watches her being naughty, my mother laughs at and points at me going, ha, 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 you're getting your due. Um, but it's part of just my personality. I am very fiery and I have never had a problem with speaking up for myself. That drive, along with a deep belief in equality, are values she gets from her father, a North Korean war refugee. He was born in Korea um, in 1943. He was uh, just a child when the Korean War broke out. And his father, his father, my grandfather, was a police officer in the region that is now North Korea. And this is the story my father always told us about the principles that define who we are. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. My grandfather was a police officer and during the lead up to the Korean War, as the communists began to have more influence in the local government, he as a police officer was being, a- was being asked to do things that he felt was morally questionable. So eventually at one point he decided he could no longer participate and be a willing participate in this oppression, so he spoke up. A few days after speaking up to his superiors, he got a knock on his door and one of his friends said, they're coming for you tomorrow, you have to leave North Korea now. So my grandfather threw together a couple of things. And at the time, my grandmother, his wife, she, was, she had my father, and she was pregnant with their second child. Really? Wow. And so my grandfather said, I have to leave. Um, I can't take you with me. So I'm going to go to the South, and I'm going to go find some work. I'm going to save some money. I'm going to send for you later. A couple of months after my grandfather left, and my grandmother, I should, I should say, she only had a second grade education. So she, after my grandfather left, she had to do anything to survive with these two children. So she was 
washing people's homes, washing laundry, everything she could do. After a couple of months after my grandfather left, the border between South Korea and North Korea was, was shut down officially. So she could get no communication from her husband. A year goes by. She hears nothing. She thought her husband had abandoned her, had found a new family, was just building a new life, and she thought she was going to die in Korea. Nothing happens, right? Then one day, um, she gets a knock on the door. This man she had never met before shoves a big envelope in her hand with cash in it, says, your husband says you have to leave now um, because if you don't leave now, you're never going to be able to get out. So she took that money, packed up what she could that later that evening, sets out with a baby bundled onto her back. My father, who was only about six or seven, carrying a backpack with everything that they owned, all their belongings. They walked several weeks through the woods, bribing guards when they could with the little cash that she had with her. They made it to the coast. And my father was actually one of the last refugees to make it out of North Korea on one of the UN missions to get get people out. Because after that point, you really couldn't get out. My grandmother then made it to the south of Korea, but she couldn't find her husband for over a year. And she, they were living in refugee camps. But one day, almost two years after they had seen each other, my grandfather and my grandmother found each other in a refugee camp. And he oh, said, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine that? Like, it's like, oh, the, 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 like, the, yeah. And she said that she really, it, it, it's just this testament to like the resiliency of my family. But my father always said, he told this story because he said, our family is principled. It, it, our family's principles are based in speaking up when things are wrong. For him, being a bystander was simply not an option. Especially during the AIDS crisis, because I grew up as a child during the AIDS crisis in the 80s. He would say things like, listen to the conversation they're having about gay people. He goes, you, could, you don't have to support the gay community. You don't have to believe in what they're doing is right. But he said, you have to fight for their equality, because he said, this is wrong. He said, this is wrong. And he said, so listen to that, and that conversation is wrong. They're getting sick. We need to help them. And, and, and I just remember these little messages my father would always tell us about what we were as a family. And I always get struggle when people say that Korean society is, you know, anti-female or Asian men are don't support women. Because I'm like, my 75-year-old father is the best feminist you will ever meet. And so I challenge everyone who says that, that, that Asian men are, are, you know, are, are incapable of change. You talk about making a change, a big change by small steps. Yes. What is the one small step you've taken so far that you're proudest of? That I'm proudest of? Really, really, really minute, right? But um, we were able to change the language we use internally from underrepresented minority to underrepresented people of color. I didn't want the organization to continue to look at black people or Hispanics and say they are minorities because in that, that language of minority is inherently othering. Right, and it, it sets a premise of in-group and out-group, and the minorities are always the out-group. By making that simple change where we can systemically roll that change out into all of our reporting to get all of the people in the organization to start using the language of people of color rather than minority shifts people's mindset about who is in, who is out, right? Bo calls that a minor change. Well, she made a pretty major one shortly after we met. Uber announced it would link executive pay to diversity and inclusion goals. In other words, senior leaders who do more towards DNI will get compensated better. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Bo Young Lee, Uber's Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. 
Remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Bloomberg Terminal, or our website, Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter, and our handle is at podcasts. We'd love it if you could take a minute to rate and review our show, so please do that if you can, and let me know what you think of it. You can find me at This Is Malika on Twitter. This podcast was produced by Laura Carlson. We'll be back next week with another episode of Out of Office, and I hope you'll join us. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.